Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Well, today I'm going to be interviewing James and Judy Brown, the captain and chief mate of the sailing yacht Dauntless. It is a charter company which is owned by the Browns. And we're going to talk about what it's like to be a charter captain, owner, and also the chief mate and some of the adventures they've had aboard sailing yacht Dauntless. But before I get to that, I want to thank a new Patreon, Tim. Tim came in as a new $10 Patreon. And thank you so much, Tim. I'm not going to mention your last name, but you know who you are. If you would like to support this podcast, there's several ways you can do it. You can become a Patreon by going to patreon.com backslash medsailor. And probably my most preferred method is if you go to the website medsailor.com. And you buy some of my audio products. I have audio lessons for the ASA 101, the 103, and the 104. And I have past podcasts, which you can also buy at the website. Now, you don't have to buy these past podcasts. You can go to the website, medsailor.com, and get all the old podcasts if you want to go way back to the beginning. Uh, they're, They're free there. But if you want to make it convenient for yourself, you can go to the website medsailor.com and look at audio products and they are available there as well. Any method that you choose to support the podcast is great. If you choose not to support the podcast, that's great as well. Just keep listening. All right, before we get on to the interview with James and Judy, let me thank my sponsor, Sailrite. For over 50 years, Sailrite has been your authority in all things marine DIY. Do it yourself. What started as a mail-order correspondence course on sailmaking has grown into one of the largest online and catalog retailers for the marine industry. Sailrite stocks everything you need to sew for your boat. They are the only company that makes one design and custom sail kits. As a passionate group of DIYers, Sailrite's dedication to self-reliance at sea is proven in their products and services. Sailrite sells fabric, foam, supplies, and more including the legendary portable and powerful Ultrafeed sewing machine, so you can be self-reliant and save money by sewing your own projects, from biminis to dodgers, sacrificial sail covers and sail bags, to interior and exterior seating and cushions. Sailrite brings you the best brands in the industry for unmatched product quality and professional-looking DIY results. With over 50 years of bringing you quality products, unparalleled service, and support, and free how-to videos, Sailrite is a name you can trust. If you have any thoughts for future podcasts or just want to get a hold of me, my email is franz1, the number one, at medsailor.com. So if you have any thoughts or comments or suggestions, just write me directly. All right, let's get on to the interview with James and Judy Brown. I'm on Skype with Judy and Jim Brown of the... uh, the yacht and the website sail dauntless d-a-u-n-t-l-e-s-s dot com and you were recommended to me by as i recall aaron carey and i thought well let's get you on let's talk to you let's see what you're doing and find out about what you're what you do and what i'm looking for 
is really not an advertisement for your service, but you're welcome to tell us about it. But tell us some of your experiences that you've had uh, taking other people out, some of the places you've gone, because this is all about getting information to cruising sailors that are going to be sailing in the Mediterranean or wherever. So first of all, tell us what your company does and tell us about yourself and some we'll go for there. Okay, Franz, uh, thank you for having us. Um, <clears throat> we're Sail Dauntless. Uh, we've been uh, chartering um, luxury charters for four years um, down in the Caribbean islands, going up and down the chain from um, the Virgin Islands all the way down through Grenada and back. And we've had a little over uh, 30 families um, varying in sizes from couples to uh, up to six guests on our 52-foot uh, Genoa uh, sailboat. It's a, a 2017. We both, uh, I have about 30-some years experience sailing. Um, Judy has not quite so much. I am a former U.S. Coast Guard uh, rescue uh, person, um, veteran down at Hatteras, North Carolina. I thought all the oceans were like Hatteras. Thank God they're not. Um, and um, anything? go ahead. Okay. Well, uh, do you, are you interested in any background or you want more? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, we want to know how you guys started to sail. Or, sure. you know, give us sure, all sure, the background. Sure. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, uh, we like to say that, uh, that we've always been dauntless, so this wasn't <laughs> the first time. Uh, we think the biggest leap we took was in 95. We bought property in western Loudoun County, right at the foothill of the Blue Ridge Mountains in northern Virginia. And it's lovely. And we were dauntless because no one in our family, or really even anyone we personally knew, had bought that much property and designed and built their own home. So that's what we did. We considered the first child the nine months that Jim took to draw the architectural plans on CAD. And then we acted as our own general contractor besides. So right after, right after, a week after we got our final occupancy permit, our first son, Henry, was born. So we are we are two Scorpios. I don't know if that means much to you, but apparently Scorpios work really well on deadlines. So <laughs> we are good deadline people. So when it's time for charter, we're ready. <laughs> So we're ready for whatever it takes at the time. So uh, anyway, so that's where it started. And then we had a second son and we uh, we lived there for 20 years and raised our kids and it was awesome. And then they uh, went to college and grew up and we said, okay, time for a new view. What's next? And looking around, it was a lovely view. We were ready for a new view. We both like to travel. We've been a few places, uh, you know, not everywhere, but we've been around a little bit. And we both like to sail, and we both started sailing as teenagers, you know, sunfish and hobies and like everybody starts. I actually learned in Girl Scout camp, learned how to sail uh, in the Hamptons. So um, that's what got us started that way. And Jim being in the Coast Guard, he just loves the water. He had four years in the Coast Guard, and he absolutely loves the ocean. So that made us start thinking in those terms. So you want to tell a little bit about the the boat purchase, how we came okay. to what we have, and yep. 
So uh, when I was in the, uh, the Coast Guard back in the middle of the last century, um, <laughs> we uh, rescued a sailboat where the, uh, the poor skipper had misguided his navigation trying to come into Ocracoke Inlet, and he ran his 44-foot sailboat hard aground on the sand. And when he uh, we got him off the, off the boat, we salvaged the sailboat, we towed it in, really minimal damage. He says, it's yours. So he gave our station a 44-foot um, blue water sailboat. He was done. And so that's where I learned on weekends, we fixed up the boat and we, we taught ourselves how to offshore sail. Uh, and of course, that was quite a, quite a long time ago. So how did you pick your boat now? So we picked the boat now by going over probably over a five-year period researching various kind of uh, boats that were, were within our price range that we thought would be good island hopping. And uh, to live on. And, to live on. And to live on while during the uh, charter season. Um, so uh, we, we, we finally narrowed it down to uh, the uh, Genoa Sun Odyssey 519, sleeps up to six passengers plus two crew. And we actually went over to France, to Calais, France, to um, see it being built midway through its construction at the plant so that I could see the plumbing and where all the electrical routings are. Because every sailor knows you can't find anything once you start to get down below. Um, so that was that was really very, very helpful. Yeah, it was cool. We saw our boat in the factory. That was really cool. Yes. Um, when the boat was delivered back over to Annapolis, Maryland, um, on October of 2017, I looked for my best weather window to sail around uh, Diamond Shoals at Cape Hatteras, and that started our journey down to the um, to the Caribbean islands. And uh, currently now, uh, due to COVID, we are back in the states. The boat is on the hard outside of Annapolis, Maryland, and we are getting ready. We are planning for our next adventure. Um, so we are researching in the med, everything that the med has to offer. We're also looking at what options we have here on the East Coast. If the med doesn't look like it's going to be doable this summer. Um, and, and Judy would like to add to that. I would like to add to that. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure, well, I'm not sure. Are you aware, Franz, what's going on in the med now with yachting? It's kind of nutty. And it's the whole Brexit thing that's affecting Everybody, not just the Brits. Uh, so they're changing the rules uh, with about yachting and about chartering. And now they want EU flagged vessels only. And we have a U.S. flagged vessel. So we are now looking to pivot this summer. We were hoping to be in Croatia this summer was the plan to be chartering. So now we are pivoting and we're going to New England. So we're going to the rich and famous, going to the Hamptons and going up to Rhode Island. Um, so we're excited because that's a beautiful place to be as well. Well, now, I'm, I'm familiar with you know, my boats in Italy right now, and all I know is I can't get on my boat, and I couldn't get on it last summer. And that they have extended the VAT rules because of that, uh, because of COVID, so I don't have to worry about getting it out of the EU within 18 months. But are you talking specifically for charter boats? Only charter yes, boats. Yes, okay. chartering. All right. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, yes, exactly. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, up until um, I guess November of 2020, um, I could license the boat in Croatia and, as a non-EU boat, and you know, and, and pull my permits required to uh, conduct business in Croatia. And we just got notification from a clearinghouse, our clearinghouse. Um, that they just changed the rules to um, 
suspend all non-EU um, businesses um, from doing business in Croatia as it relates to chartering. Hmm. Well, that's going to affect quite a few companies, businesses. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of private yachts that are in Croatia that are managed by by Moorings and Sunsail that I assume exactly. the yachts are, are, are uh, well, maybe flagged a different country than where they're chartering. I'm wondering if that's going to affect them. Yeah. I need to get... Uh, I need to get Josie Tucci on the line and talk to her about how that's going to affect them. She's a she's a marketing manager for Sunsail and and Moorings, mm. but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I would imagine that's going to affect a lot of people. And it, it uh, they they set a size limit on the length where uh, this new restriction goes into effect. So if your if your yacht is over uh, twenty four meters, you're exempt from this new restriction. But the bulk of the, as we know, the bulk of the yachts are, are below that that are in the charter business. Um, okay. Yeah, so it, it's an interesting little twist that we're going to have to work through. Um, Judy's Italian. She has Italian heritage. So she's looking at potentially getting her um, dual citizenship in Italy. Citizenship through ancestry. Yes. We're giving it a shot. Uh, and then maybe I'll be allowed to tag along. Um but uh, we, we still have the issue with the U.S. flag on, on the yacht. At the moment. Uh, at the moment. So it's, it's getting interesting over there. Um, but our goal, our, our long-term goal is to sail, sail around the world. So this is just one small hiccup um, with COVID being the other one, of course, uh, <laughs> that I think has, has brought a lot of the whole charter business to a halt. Uh, yeah, like, I don't you know, so many of those countries are dependent on tourism. I mean, it's going Absolutely. to be devastating to all of the countries, well, especially in the Caribbean. Yep. Not, not as much in the Mediterranean, but Croatia is heavily dependent on tourism. Sure. Sure. I, Absolutely. I don't know how they can go on with this much longer, quite exactly. honestly. Right. I, we've heard quite a few stories. We, we were so glad we made the decision to come back up here for COVID. Um, we have friends down on the islands that were kind of trapped down there on their boats for six, seven, eight weeks. Um, in quarantines, and it's getting better, uh, <clears throat> but it, it is a challenge right now. Um, yeah, but it's getting better, and I think the, I think our business is going to just explode at some point when all looks go. Everybody is, um, you know, there's such a pent up demand, desire for travel, that uh, I'm sure it'll happen if we could all, like you said, you know, hold on long enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. So we're thinking Newport because, you know, people can drive there, maybe not from where you live, but there's a lot of people live on the East Coast. They don't have to take a plane to get there. You know, it could be just like a fun, easy, kind of safe trip, you know, mm-hmm. for the summer. So I, I last week, a friend called me up and asked me if I wanted to help deliver a boat from Antigua up to Miami and I went on to Google Earth, and I said, okay, well, that's 1,300 nautical miles. And I told yeah. him, I said, if we're going to be boat-bound, I don't have any interest at all. You know, exactly. it's going to be basically you, exactly. you you fill up in Antigua and exactly. load go. up and go. I'm That that holds absolutely no appeal to me at all. I don't know. I yeah, I don't I know how you. he's going to get, get anybody even do that delivery right. for him. So. Right. Well, we know a few good delivery crews that'll do that. Um, that's kind of their bread and butter. Yeah, that's not uh, our gig either. The no. island hopping thing is much more what we're interested in. No. So we could send you a link if you want to pass it along. Um, well, yeah, well, I, you can always send a link. I'll, I'll pass it along to him, but he's going to have to pay through the nose to get it. He was hoping to do it on the cheap and have me and my friend come do it for him. But uh, that's going to be 
That's going to be an expensive delivery for him. There's no question about that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Let him talk and ask a question. So... Let's see. Where can we go from okay, here? Do you want, oh, do you want some well, let's story? let's let's start let's start talking about uh, some of your experiences. Well, now, did you? What happened last summer with your charter business? What? How did you end up getting so, back into what we did? Annapolis? What we did last summer. So we actually got, brought the boat back last spring. This past a year ago winter, one year ago, we were in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So we were in the Virgin Islands. We were charting BVI, USVI. A year before, we were down in the Windward Islands and the Grenadines and and St. Lucia and Martinique, and that was all very cool, too. Not a whole lot of business down there. It's beautiful. They don't get the hurricanes. And there's just more charter business in the Virgin Islands. So that's the main reason we went there last year. And we were doing some work and then, uh, you know, the whole COVID thing. Um, So what what was I going to say with COVID? With the well, co- well, COVID in the Virgin Islands, even on, on St. John, um, they didn't. It was crazy. They didn't have a lot of cases, but but they really came down hard on closing, really closing. Uh, closing the beach. Closing you, the beach. So if you're on a mooring ball, you could not even get to the beach. And everybody's um, everybody's on a mooring ball because there's almost no docks. Right. So it, that yeah. was really kind of a nutty thing. So we said, why don't we bring the boat back up here? So we actually hired a delivery captain. That brought us straight up from the Virgin Islands to the Chesapeake. So that was 10 days and nights. They went, you know, 24-7, straight through the ocean, brought it back. They did a great job. And, you know, we just flew back. Uh, so we didn't have to, we just, you know, those long passages, passage making is not my thing, really. <laughs> no, she gets bored really easy. I, I really, I can't take it. <laughs> Some people love it. It's not my thing. So we brought the boat back up. We had the boat brought back up and we lived at a marina outside of Annapolis um, for part of the summer. And then we ran some charters in the Chesapeake Bay. We did shorter ones because the seven night gig isn't really doesn't really fit here quite as well. So we did uh, three nighters and we did a handful of those last summer. Um, so that was good. It was okay. And then this fall, we put it on, put her on the hard. And now when we splash, the plan is to go north. So, um, you know, just take one season at a time and get through this. Yep. Yeah. So how do you do your marketing then? Well, we have, we, we have a webpage. We, uh, we have, uh, Erin now, uh, our public relations, um, and she's doing a wonderful job. Um, for us, we're actually pretty busy with podcasts and radio interviews, which is a, a whole new adventure for us, um, and it, it's fun. Um, we've we've ran Facebook ads. Uh, we advertise in um, a few local magazines um, that are local for the Chesapeake Bay, um, and we kind of and then we're also uh, on working with brokers. CYA is the uh, international. Um place where a charter broker can look us up uh so we we've we're on there too so we get some some work from um charter brokers right but it, it's uh we're a small niche company for sure um competing with uh and you had mentioned it uh, moorings the moorings and some of the larger um companies even though they don't do crude charter uh, as their bread and butter they may do a special you know specialty things but um uh, we're also competing quite heavily in the charter market with catamarans. 
down the Virgin Islands, it's predominantly catamarans. Almost because, all. Because it's such a great platform once you arrive uh, to have that space and the large swim platforms and everything in the calm harbors. Uh, so we're hoping the traditional Northeast, like Rhode Island and even the Med, still have a lot of sailboats. They're not 99%, oh, that's what, yeah, well, sailboats we call yeah. them. Uh, they're, yeah, most people know them by sailboats. So there's not a lot of catamarans still in comparison to the monohull in the Med and in Rhode Island. So, right. um, so we're hoping both those places will be a f better fit for us. And I'm, I'm glad we chose the monohull, um, more traditional sailing, of course. Um, I've sailed alongside out in the open ocean down the Caribbean between the islands that can get uh, quite robust and choppy depending on the current and the tide of the day. Um, and I'm glad I'm on a monohull as opposed to a catamaran. In the big seas, it's, yeah. it's a much better ride for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But they got us beat hands down once you get into the harbor as far as an entertainment platform goes. Um, <clears throat> but we've sailed uh, a little over 8,000 miles on um, on Dauntless since October, and uh, since October of seventeen. October of seventeen. Okay. <laughs> and um, and it's it's been a quite an experience. A lot of good weather. Um, I, I consider myself a, a very conservative skipper. I look at five different weather forecasts. Um, I talk to the locals about currents and tides, and it's it's really paid off. We've only had our guests maybe in a few squalls. And I've become very uh, attuned to using a squall to our advantage, if at all possible, about coming in along the backside of a squall and, and capturing some of its additional wind to, to move us along a little faster. So it's been fun. Um, really no, no really what I call catastrophic events um, so far out there. So we are, we're very conservative. Most, uh, peop most people are just so thrilled. You know, we get some sailors on board. There's a few, or there's, most of them have sailed a little bit. Yep. Some of yep. them have never, and not everybody on board has been a sailor. Uh, and they just, you know, it's just so fun to watch their eyes light up when, when they take the helm. Uh, so it's, it, people, they do what they want, what they want to do. If they want to drink a lot, if they don't want to drink a lot, if they want to take part in the sailing, uh, if they want to learn anything, we're pretty adaptable to what, Yes, yeah, so yeah, what people want to do. Yeah, I pick the good conditions when I think it'll be a fun experience to have a guest on the helm when we're actually, you know, doing eight to nine knots and we're sailing in the long troughs. Uh, and once in a while, a whale will pop up. It's pretty exciting. Or a, or a, a pod of hundred dolphin or more comes swimming at us from the beam to check to check out who are we. And that's all. That's all really exciting. Um, and an occasional wave. Um, one one quick story: We were sailing south down to uh, Union Island uh, in the Southern Grenadines, and uh, beautiful Sunday morning. One of our we had two guests on board. One was on uh, an iPad, and the other one was reading a hard copy book. And we're sailing along, and I was sailing the troughs that day, and I was looking. The sun was uh, off the beam. It was on 10:30 in the morning, and. Uh, I was getting ready to pick my pick my point where I was going to jump over the next crest. The seas were running that day, maybe six to eight feet, probably 10, 15 second periods. So it was a beautiful sail to trough kind of a day. And we got hit with a small rogue wave that came into the cockpit that nobody ever saw. It broke around the, on my chin. 
Uh, Judy was sound asleep on on the sole deck. On the deck. Um, <laughs> our client, we're heeled over, the rail's in the water, we're doing eight knots, it's beautiful. And this wave comes in just underneath the bimini top and uh, just blasts our client. We were all soaked, all of us. Um, and in his soaked. British accent, he, he looks down at me because, like I said, we were healed pretty far over on the starboard side. And he goes, Jim, I rather enjoyed that. You know, that's a bucket list item. <laughs> and we were so worried. We were looking at each other like, oh, no. And he was like, oh, I rather enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do? I put him on the helm, and he had a great time. Yeah. Uh, so we have, a, we have a lot of good stories. So did you pick up the boat in France or did you have it delivered to the States or where did you have it delivered to if you did that? It, it, uh, it left. Uh, uh, it was delivered to the Chesapeake. It was delivered to yes. Baltimore. And then uh, we bought the boat in Annapolis. It was on a ship. It came, it came right. via right. Came of a yacht carrier. Came, yeah, which is awesome. And then a couple of guys from the place where we, we bought the uh, bought her. Uh, they motored her down from from Baltimore, which isn't very far to Annapolis. And actually, the first day that we got to see her in uh, in the states, it was about six inches of snow. <laughs> snow drifts <laughs> well, in was, the cockpit. Well, there was snow all over, right? And we had already made an appointment with one of the guys that worked at the at the yacht company at, at the brokerage. And, uh, you know, he thought we were nuts for, he came, he met us and we had to like shovel some snow to get on her, but we're like, we've got to see her. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. So was it original? was it always your plan to sail in the Caribbean or did you give some thought to chartering over in the Mediterranean since it would have been easier and probably cheaper to pick it up over there? Yeah, how's it been? <laughs> <clears throat> great hindsight. I'm well, a... <laughs> no, not so much. Part of it is that it is, there is a, well, I guess you could say there's a big charter business in the Med. The Caribbean just seemed like a great place to, you know, get our feet wet, so to speak. All those islands and lots of options, and it's warm um, for a long time, actually all year. Down by the Grenadines, you could sail there all year. It's beautiful yeah. weather all year. Yeah. Um, and they really don't get the hurricanes that far south. They just also don't get the tourists. So that's, you know, a business problem. Uh, it's not a sailing problem. So, yeah, we thought we really chose the Caribbean, I guess, because it wasn't that far away, knowing that we'd start there, not knowing how long we'd be there, and figure we could always branch out from there. But our goal has always been to uh, to sail the Med. Uh, both as from a business perspective and then when we're not chartering. So we're, we're both landscape architects in our previous world, okay? So we both love architecture. So that is the biggest draw for us for the Mediterranean. I mean, this, you know, the, the Caribbean's lovely in lots of ways. Uh, there really isn't any architecture to speak of. So we're excited to go to the Mediterranean for that. Now, have you even chartered? Have you done any traveling? You, know, you said you're of Italian descent. Have you done much traveling in, in Europe yet? Yes. Yes. Not by boat. Uh, oh. On land. A few, you know, quite a few different countries, a few different times. We were in Greece. I was in Greece a few times. I actually did the, uh, gosh, in college a long time ago now. Uh, <laughs> I did the nine weeks with my best friend. We did the Eurail Youth Hostel trip. One summer in between uh, school, in in the middle of school, 
So that was we, that was my first experience to Europe. And then together, Judy and I, we both took sabbaticals from our our corporate lives, and we backpacked through all the Greek islands twice. Um, yeah. So this was taking mailboats and ferries before kids. Yeah, right, before right. kids when we were. <laughs> We had no responsibilities and, and <laughs> careless, and let's go have a good time. Um, so that was kind carefree, of a, not and careless, that kind of probably carefree. planted a seed for me anyway. About you know, I I, I saw other sailing yachts similar to the size that we have. Really, the freedom that they had to just come and go, and and it was it just was really appealing. Well, just um, in that beautiful water. Well, what we've learned now is just yeah. how different traveling is from the water than from the land. It's just a whole nother world. From that point of view, do you know you know what I'm saying? No. When you're when you're taking a vacation on a boat as opposed to taking a vacation on land for that same week, you get a completely different experience and a completely different view. Oh, approaching from the water. Yeah. Yes. 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 Uh, yep. <clears throat> let's talk about your first charter season. How did it work out for? You? And let's talk about the economics of what you're doing. Because I think what you're doing is the dream of a lot of people. Sure. And, I'm, and I'm wondering if the dream and the reality have any, any, uh, <laughs> any connection. Yeah, good question. Good question. Uh, our, our, first, our first charter season, uh, when, we, when we arrived down into the Grenadines, um, was right before the holidays. And our clearinghouse... Um, Sail Grenadines down. They're based out of um, on Beckway Island. They're a, they're a uh, British um, clearinghouse charter company. Uh, book six bookings for us, all within a few, uh, uh, maybe a three week period in November for the busy season. The busy season down there starts really uh, right before Christmas and ends at Easter. So we were kind of under fire. They they uh, they booked our boat uh, three weeks back to back with one day or two days between the charters or no days for or one. no days yeah. um under fire um well on, it's the holidays that's what happens during the holidays yeah christmas so, week we had we yeah. had we had a great family from um, um from uh, britain uh, we dropped them off uh, we cleaned the boat we had to reprovision the boat and then we had to sail for eight hours on new year's eve down to um, canawan island which is in the southern grenadines to pick up a couple from Manhattan for they want to spend New Year's Day on, on New Year's week with us. So our first our first charter experience was back to back. It was really a one large party of sailing, drinking and eating. And for three weeks straight, we were totally exhausted. It was I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's just like your guest members just changed. You know, one group got off the boat, the next group got on the boat and you're, you're off and running again. Um, so it was exciting, uh, but after the holidays, then it really flattens out, um, and you get one or two here or there. Uh, <clears throat> when I originally ran my uh, my business plan before we even got started, I said, you know, if we can do 15 to 20 charters per year, you wouldn't think that's 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 very much. Um, we can we can make a quite a quite a good living. Um, you know, and you can make you can make a decent profit on on your markups if you take care. And of have it, you had if you take care of your boat? And have you um, had one year where that has happened yet? We have not had one year where that has happened yet, um, for various reasons. One is when we started, we had of course we've already we already bought the boat in late 2016. When the time the boat was delivered in 2017, if you remember, 
In September of 2017, uh, the Caribbean Irma. got slammed by two Irma and Maria. horrific hurricanes, Irma and Maria, which brought the whole tourist business to a screaming halt, and the the damage down there was was quite extensive. So that was a bit that was a first thud for us, um, and um, and then the second we were just getting going, charters were picking up again. We were kind of get our we were we thought okay we know what we're doing now. And then COVID hits, and of course, then that just shut everything down. So we're 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 getting ready for uh, what we think will be uh, great charter seasons over the next couple of years. Uh, once the majority of uh, the world gets vaccinated, and they start they start to lessen the restrictions at the destinations. Um, so we're we're really looking forward, and we're excited to uh, get beyond this hiccup. But there is there you, you can. You can make money. You can sustain. You can maintain your boat. Um, you, you just uh, you have to be ready for the the not so good years. But you are on call twenty four hours a day when you have charters on board. Has that right. worn down? Has that got you worn down at all over the years, or or what's your been your experience with that? Uh, <clears throat> I think it takes us just a couple of days and we bounce back. We're good because you're like the adrenaline's up the whole during the event for the whole week. So it's really not a problem then. Um, now, of course, guests also get off the boat, which we encourage. <laughs> 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 because the crew needs a break too. <laughs> because exactly what you said, 24 uh, seven. But you know, they, they take a little trip on land and go touring or they go to the beach for a while or we have them out snorkeling. I mean, you, you know, they, they want to do stuff too. So when, when yeah. you're when you're chartering, when you're on charter, and this is probably true for most most crews, whether it's a big mega yacht or even our our much smaller yacht, is that it, it's an 18-hour day. Sending yeah, um, You're up at, you're up late, finishing the day, getting them all uh, taken care of, and then you're up early in the morning getting ready for the next day. Yeah, it's a long day for sure. Uh, it's a long day, but it's worth it. It's fun. It, it's it, it's really a good time. As long as it's fun, I think you can keep doing it. It's when it starts becoming, oh, another one of those. or an, uh, <laughs> You never know. Have you had any bad charters, or have they all been great people? You know what? i got to say most, like probably 90% have really been great people. I mean, it's amazing how many people come on board. And you remember, it's a very intimate setting. So, you know, you're not avoiding each other. They're watching us wash the dishes. You know what I mean? And many people want to be super helpful. And we're like, nope, you're not washing the dishes. Nope, you are not washing the dishes. You know, I mean, we really have people come aboard that want to like, help do everything. Now, I've had people help in the galley because I'm the chef. And uh, I don't know, got late one night. We had a nice family of five on board. And they were probably starving. Uh, but they offered to help cook. <laughs> Because it was getting kind of late. So I said, sure. So the whole family sat down around the table, became an event. Dad cut up enough onions for the whole week. I mean, it was fun. It was actually good. So we'll let people help occasionally with certain things if they want to. Most people really want to be helpful. Um, We've had a couple of experiences that were absolutely learning experiences for us. And I'd say the biggest one was this past summer, actually, which was surprising because we were doing these little short hops in the bay. Um, And what we really, the takeaway was expectations. To make clear our expectations on 
the customer's end, the guest's end, and our end. You know, both expectations are everything. So um, I'd say most of the time we did a great job with that. Um, but that's, you know, that's something that we uh, realized is very important. Yes, because all it takes, they're on vacation. All it takes is one rainy day on the boat and your guests aren't happy. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, you're a skipper, I'm a skipper. It's not as much fun. We wish we could control the weather, <laughs> but unfortunately we can't. Um, that's, that's really the only, really the downside is if you end up with a week of, of challenging, uh, sea conditions, a North swell or, or, or just or not sunny, rain. you know, this beautiful water is beautiful right. when it's sunny, but yeah. in the Caribbean, it's 90% beautiful it's weather. It's sunny a lot. So, <laughs> it's uh, true. <laughs> yeah. Between summer and winter, the, the temperature changes only a couple degrees, and then the water's always 85 degrees. So one of the things that I, I would mention is about the length of a charter, because we've met lots of people that have different business models. So uh, some people do day charters. Some people do short, like two, three-night things, and others do the week or longer. Uh, so this summer up in Newport, our plan is to do all three. We could do some long charters and take real sailing if people want to go some places. Um, and I'm thinking we're, we're thinking we're going to be able to do a lot of day charters and weekend charters too. So that makes a big difference on, you know, not doing the whole week every time breaks it up right. quite a bit. Right. I mean, some long charters might start in Newport and we may go all the way out to uh, Martha's Vineyard or out to the Cape and back if, if it's a week long charter. So you get the, you get the combination of sailing in, in uh, Long Island Sound, going out beyond uh, Block Island and, and then out actually into the Atlantic Ocean, which is a totally different experience as you know. Um, so that, there's some really positives about um, what we plan on doing this summer. And then all in preparation for um, ultimately our trip over to the Med. Because I, I think things between Brexit and the European Union will eventually settle down. The rules hopefully will become more stabilized for um, non-EU boats. And uh, uh, it's an, always an option where we have to sell our US flagged vessel and then just buy a yeah. buy an EU boat sure. um, once we get over there. Right, right. So as we keep telling us that we're not dead, we we have options. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If you're not dead, you've got options. That's now, right. Now, is your boat is your boat U.S. Coast Guard documented? It is. Yes. Now, isn't there foreign own, foreign manufacturing rules on on documentation? I thought the vessel had yes. to be built in the United States to be U.S. documented. Um, no, they they put a they put a restriction on your vessel. It, it's called uh, no coastwide trade. However, down in the Virgin Islands, that is waived for U.S. flag vessels to go to uh, BVI and, and USVI. And down in the Windward Islands, in the Grenadines, they don't care. They just, they just, they're, they just the, want people. Their concern <laughs> is um, the safety apparatus you have on the boat and, right. and the qualifications of the captain. So you do yeah. have to be a licensed, a licensed captain. Um, I currently hold a 50-ton master, U.S. Coast Guard 50-ton master, based on the size of our of our uh, and weight of our vessel. Uh, we did apply back in September. Um, in, in process of going to the Med, I did I did apply for the waiver for the Jones Act, the uh, the MARAD, 
and uh, that is due any day now, as I've been told by the uh, by the government. So we'll see. Uh, okay, I, don't, I don't understand what that is. What's the what? What exactly it, are you it, talking about there? It's a waiver. If you have a foreign built vessel like we do, because ours was built in France, and I would like to conduct business coastwide trades in U.S. waters, um, basically become a commercial vessel. Uh, <clears throat> that is prohibited by the Jones Act that was, was created. I don't know if you're familiar with the Jones Act. Yeah, I'm familiar so, with that. Maybe some of our listeners aren't, though, so explain that. <clears throat> what the Jones Act is was uh, created quite a while ago to preserve the shipyards in the United States such that uh, foreign-built vessels could not come over to the United States and take over our commercial trade. So they, they, they put bans on that. So even today, cruise ships that are flagged, let's say Panama, um, cannot, as an example, pick up and drop off guests in Fort, in Fort Lauderdale. They can pick up and say Boston and drop off in Fort Lauderdale. Um, so it's a rather complicated law and restrictions on foreign-based vessels doing business in the United States. If you do have a foreign-based vessel and it's over three years of age, which ours is now, you can apply for a, a, a MARAD waiver. waiver of the Jones Act, which then allows me to conduct business with our vessel in U.S. waters. It takes about three months non-COVID duration to process the uh, waiver. We're into it now for about four and a half months, but we got notification that we're almost there. And that will allow us to um, commercially, legally do business up in... Um, in the States. In the States. Basically. Okay. Okay. But so, so I guess I was wrong. I assumed that to even document a boat uh, in the United States, and because I documented my boat... And one of the big things I had to put on there that was manufactured or built in the United States. Of course, that was a long time ago, and I don't know if those rules still apply or not. Yeah, no, you, no, it doesn't have to be now. Okay. We're we're registered in Delaware or something like that. No, yeah. that's totally, no? Oh, that's totally different. Oh, never mind. That, that's different. That, that, that's totally different. This is now. why the captain deals with this paperwork. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, we're we're a U.S. Coast Guard registered, uh, and we just have the one restriction right now until my waiver's in place. Once you. For your listeners, once you do get the the M-Ride waiver, it sticks with the boat even if you sell it. So it's a one time oh. it's a one time waiver deal, um, and it, it's it's worthwhile for sure. Um, okay, okay, yeah, it's, it's similar to well, if you pay VAT tax on your boat in the Mediterranean, that right. follows the boat as well. So you either Correct. buy a boat VAT paid or VAP, VAT yeah. unpaid, and right. it follows the boat. And, Got it. Yeah. I know when I was sailing uh, from Hampton, Virginia to the Azores, uh, when I was out in the middle of nowhere, I was on watch one night and I saw this ship coming up from my stern and I was watching it and watching and watching. Pretty soon on the radio, a guy pops up and said, hey, I see a, I see a boat out in front of me. Uh just letting you know, I'm, I see you, I'm coming up on you, and I got on the radio. We had a long, not a long discussion, maybe a 10 or 15 minute discussion. And he was delivering um, goods to the U.S. military base in Tessera in the Azores. And, of course, he was a U.S. Uh, registered boat, according to the Jones Act. It had to be a U.S. boat. Oh, turn that off. Uh, to, to deliver it. So it was a commercial boat, which was operating under the Jones Act. Right. Let me turn off my phone here. 
<laughs> That's my daughter. I'll have to call her back. <laughs> Sorry, can't talk right now. Good enough. All right. So okay. once, so once we get the uh, once we get the waiver, then I apply back to the U.S. Coast Guard to get our vessel a, as to become a commercial vessel, and that's also about a ninety-day process. And then the plan was then I can take the, that documentation when I go over to Croatia to pull my business license. Hopefully, eventually, they will accept that and do the and do the change. Um, to allow us to, to conduct business in an, in an EU country. Um, even though Croatia is considered a fringe EU country, they abide by some of the laws, not all of them. But as far as yachting goes right now, they're falling in line with the, uh, with the EU. Um, yeah. So it's, a, it's very interesting. You know, the, the easiest part about this business is actually sailing the boat. Oh, right. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, the so, paperwork. So for, so for all your listeners, that's the icing on the cake when you actually, you know, instruct your crew to release the lines. Let's go. Because uh, it takes a lot to get to that point. Uh, so it's, it's all, all good. So when you pay a company to line up charters for you, uh, they get a portion of the charter fees. So what percentage Correct. do they normally get? Correct. They earn a commission. Most charter brokers um, make 15%. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. So tell us about some of your favorite anchorages or destinations uh, in, sure. in the Caribbean. Okay. okay. All right. I've, I've got a, a couple that come to mind immediately. Uh, one is actually right in St. Thomas, right in. It's not, you know, it's handy. The USVIs are handy being American. One thing, just I'll do a little side thing here. With the Caribbean, just because we were ignorant, as I have a feeling um, many Americans are probably more than most of the world as far as geography. You know, we always thought of the Caribbean kind of as one place. Well, it's not one place at all. It's I don't even know how many different countries. It's just a whole bunch of different independent country islands. And so each one, you know, the clearing in and out and all of that stuff, a lot of people may have no idea. And, um, and so, you know, Jim's a pro at that now. The captain goes in and gets us cleared in and cleared out of, of every country. But all these places are individual countries. So they all have their own rules. Um, so anyway, what, a couple of my favorites. Um, on St. Thomas, on the north side, is a fabulous um, deep, deep co uh, deep bay called, um, is it called Maggins or Megan's? Maggins. Maggins Bay, M-A-G-E-N-S. And the Nature Conservancy and there's like three groups, the Nature Conservancy and some other couple other private groups. It's a park when you it's this beautiful, like it's between a half a mile and a mile, big crescent beach, very smooth sand. Um, it, it, everything there was damaged with Irma and Maria. They rebuilt that place. Uh, they did new plantings along that whole park. They have these beautiful big pavilions, huge, fabulous beach bar. They've got a um, place where we would buy, what do you call it, like a vendor that had food all the time. We get euros there. There's a little boutique, um, lots of wildlife, really protected cove. So we love Maggins Bay, gorgeous. Um, only problem is when there's uh, a north swell. 
then you can't stay there because it's just untenable. It's it's impossible. We are always looking for calm anchorages at night, always, always. Mm -hmm. So most of the time it's great there. North Swell, not so good. So the other place that I absolutely love is, um, well, there's a couple of them though. Um, St. Lucia. In St. Lucia, what's it called? Marigo. Marigo Bay. Very yeah, cool. Marigo Bay is you're sailing along the uh, the west side of the island. It's basically a crack in the middle of a cliff. And you sail through this really abrupt opening into this paradise. It's just a small inland protected cove surrounded by very steep hills and magnificent resort. Um, bar, beach bar, customs, everything is right there. Uh, there's enough... Uh, Inside the inside the lagoon, you can probably have uh, 20 to 30 boats on mooring balls, totally protected. Oh, they have a nice dock, too. And an amazing dock, very, very friendly uh, people, um, very intimate. That's uh, a cool place. That's a really cool place. Another, another hold, on, hold on, this is St. Lucia, you said? St. Lucia, yeah, right, Mar Lucia. Marigo Bay. And okay, so I'm, I've got it up on Google Earth, and I'm searching for it. And is that uh, what what side of the island? You said it was the east or west, north, west. south, west side west. of the island. West side, about halfway down from the north. About halfway down from the north. Okay. Yeah. Yep. You see Castile. Is it Castile? What's the big town? What's this, the, the, their main city? There's uh, a Canaries. A Canaries. K a c a n a r i e s. Castries. Castries. There's Castries is their main city, and it's south of that. Yep. Okay. And so is this south of that then? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's very cool. All right. Castries has a, a, one of the biggest markets because I love the farmer's markets. Right. So then another another great place when you're sailing south is when you sail by the Montserrat volcano on the southern side of Montserrat. They have a one-half-mile exclusion zone on the west side, so you can actually get very, very close to the volcano that is still somewhat active as far as the sulfur smoke and the steam and the rumbling. Uh, we went by on one day, and you could actually hear the mountain just grinding away. Uh, so that was a, an, an awe-inspiring bucket list for me to get that close to an active volcano. When you, if you're only a half a mile offshore, you could see the Forbidden City, that uh, this large swath of the volcano, basically, when it came down the mountain, just opened a big crevasse through the middle of the town. Everything in the Caribbean is built out of concrete block. So, of course, all the roofs and windows and doors were wood. They burned away. But you can see the whole city, what's left of it, uh, <clears throat> um, which was was quite quite the uh, experience. Uh, the island of Saba, which is about Saba, Saba, Saba. I don't know how they say it. It's about seventy miles southwest of Saint Martin. Yeah, it's just a large volcanic Seba. rock. Saba's cool. That uh, sits out in the middle of nowhere, and it's Dutch. It's, it's a Dutch island. It's a Dutch island. There's no docks. There's a, well, there is a government dock. You basically moor out in the open ocean on uh, the leeward side, and you take it. You take a a ride up to the first town that is at elevation 1,000 feet. And it's uh, called the bottom. And it's called the bottom. 
very unique. You just need really you, cool. You go there when you've got decent weather because there cool. there is no protected anchorage. Yeah, there. it's not protected. They need they uh, need to build a protected anchorage. It would be so cool. Uh, but really interesting place. It looks like summer camp, the whole island, because all the houses and all the structures are built the similar way, all with the orange uh, galvanized roofs, and they're all painted white with like green shutters, like everywhere. It looks like summer camp in the like in the, <laughs> Up in the mountains, in the Adirondacks or something. It's yeah. really funny. <laughs> uh, another great place is the very southern end of the Caribbean chain. It's Union Island. Uh, there's a there's a uh, group of islands off of Union Island called Tobago Keys, and it's a wonderful place for snorkeling. Uh, you feel like you're uh, you're in behind the reef, so you're you're on mooring balls. It's it's one of their national parks. Yeah, it's a marine park. Um, so you're moored in in water maybe 10 to 15 feet deep, and then you have the the open ocean just beyond the reef, which is the Caribbean Sea going at it. And you swim with the turtles. That's a that is a key destination in the Southern Caribbean uh, for charter boats, uh, and they have an awesome uh, lobster fest. It's an international lobster fest from people all over the world every night. Every night. That's put on by the locals. They come once you get to the mooring ball in the park. They send a boat out. They pick up you and your guests. Uh, uh, tip for the skippers. Yeah, skippers eat for free. Uh, you get your own big old Caribbean lobster. Uh, <clears throat> And it's a wonderful experience as well. Our guests love it. Um, Union Island is also famous for kiteboarding. Oh, right. Uh, Lots of kiteboarding. Yeah. Um, they hold international competitions in behind the reef at Union Island. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those are cool places. All so I'm, I'm zoomed in on, on Union Island on Google yep. Earth right now. And on the south, it looks like there's a destroyed marina that, uh, that looks like it's yes. almost all underwater now or partially underwater now. That large, yeah, what you're looking at there was a, a not, it, it did not, uh, um, it was not destroyed by the hurricane. It was, it, it stopped construction for a new resort from the 2008 recession. Everything okay. just came to a screaming halt. So what you're looking at is basically foundation and piles that it was never brought to a, to, to a conclusion. To life. To life. Mm, um, okay, okay. So if you go to the northeast corner of uh, Union Island, you'll see the light blue water of Tobago Keys. That is famous. That's where Johnny Depp filmed his movies, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay. In all that group of islands. That's where that whole movie was filmed. So it's really wild with this uh, Tobago Keys, and there are these, these people that work this lobster fest. And when it's not, there is a season that it's not lobster season. It's at least half the year that, that there's lobster, at least maybe nine months. But they always have fish and they always have other options. So it's this huge spot with these like permanent barbecues. And there's a few different groups and they're all doing their own thing and they're all making something almost identical. And they've got about 25 picnic tables out on the beach. And they got the lights strung up. So at night it's nice and festive and um and it's just so uh, it's just so cool. The amazing part is that nobody lives in Tobago Keys because it's a park. So they all bring all their stuff, all the people working that from Union Island. They come in their boats every day and they do their setup and they do their cleanup and take it all back, uh, which is it's quite the uh, event, you know, for not living there. It's kind of amazing. They do a great job. Yes. Yes. Um, 
Another great thing is in, in the Caribbean island is the local fishermen come up. If you want fresh fish, they come right up to the boat. And then uh, the chef negotiates the deal uh, for probably the freshest red snapper. Or, or anything. Mahi, tuna, mahi. mahi yeah. uh, I would take anything. Yeah. Yeah, she negotiates. <laughs> it was so fresh. It was awesome. Yeah. Oftentimes it was alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, ceviche, uh, you know, it's awesome. Yeah. Just hand them my, uh, yeah, we'd, we'd make the deal and then... Uh, and then I'd hand him my knife and say, uh, you know, can you fillet it too? <laughs> <laughs> so what is a going rate for a mahi-mahi then? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Half half uh, to a third of what you'd pay at anywhere else, honestly. <laughs> it was, you know, they had it on their boat. They had just caught it. Probably $30 for $30 U.S. if I'm doing the conversion right uh, for probably uh, what, five pounds. Yeah, okay. it could be. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Of, of fish. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. When you when you have guests on board, do you plan on buying local produce along the way? I usually provision, depending which islands we know we're going to. Some of these islands are really pretty remote and don't have, you know, there's not a corner store. There's not a Starbucks on every corner like we're used to here. Um, so it depends on where we are. If most of the time I provision for the whole week before we leave. So if it's possible to go to a place where you could get more or then get fish, and then after we go to the same places over and over, of course, you get to know the guys. And, you know, you could tell them, oh, I'm coming back next Wednesday, and they'll be waiting for you. So that's, that's to, very helpful. To, to, to answer his question, you do, when you can, shop local. Well, of course, it's all local anyway. From the local vendors. Well, of course. However, I have to provision for the whole week. Yeah, you, we you, can't you can't always... You, you can't, can't count on it. You can't take the risk that you're not going to have food you for your guests, right? How about well, alcohol? How much right. alcohol do you stock up on? Well, we we send out these um, um, preference. Sheets. Thank you, preference sheets to our guests before they come on board, like a couple weeks before, and they get to tell us what do they like to drink, what do they like to eat, what can they not eat, what activities do they want to do, maybe some of the islands they might want to see, and then we plan all around that. So that way, you know, I've got a little bit of a clue before they get on board. Um, the one thing we've been challenged with, which we need to figure out a better way to say it, is that we ask in the preference sheets if you have any medical conditions. Um, and pretty much everybody's like, no. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they come on board and we're like, hmm, what about this? Or what, you know? <laughs> so I think we need to figure out a better way to, to beg that question. Um, you know, like, have you had knee surgery? Can you bend your knees? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah we, you do need to enjoy yourself. You really do have to have some mobility. Um, we do our best um, for those that uh, are having issues. Um, but, but, you it, know, it, we're not at a dock every night. So you're getting in and out of the dinghy, and you have to be able to move. It's yeah. that simple. Yeah. Yeah. Have you had any medical emergencies? We have. We've been blessed. We have not. Okay. We, uh, we are both, uh, especially Judy, I got it with my captain's license. We're both uh, STCW certified in uh, first aid, firefighting, um, marine hygiene, all the, all the things you need to work on a, on a commercial ve vessel in, in international waters. Um, so we do, have, we do have the training and the certifications, but we've been blessed where we've had some people with some bad knees. Um, one guest came on board with a cane. Uh, after having hip hip replacement surgery, um, we're glad to say by the end of the week he, he no longer needed his cane because Chef Judy really pushed him hard. 
Uh, and, <laughs> he, he was dancing at the beach bar. We're like, I don't think you need that cane anymore. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's we, we we've been very fortunate. Um, yeah. You know, still a lot of people come on and need the um, what do you call it? What do you call the pack for uh, CPAP machines? Yeah, oh, talking- yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, and they don't think about telling us that ahead. Well, you know what? Those things need power. Yeah, and we're on a boat, so we might need to know that. What do you do for? What do you do? For, do you have a, a separate generator on board? Uh, we yes. do. We have a, a 10 kW uh, generator. It's a big, a big okay. generator. Yeah. We've got uh, we've got water maker. Uh, we've got uh, solar. Uh, so we really are um, self sustainable out there. And I assume uh, you have a washer mach- washing machine as well. We do. Okay. Washer dryer. We yes. do, and everything's fresh water, you know, and they're push button toilets and we got power winches and it's fancy schmancy little boats but, awesome. but no uh but no dishwashing machine yeah no. I, it's, i'm sitting well, right next to him you know, <laughs> you know once this once the skipper drops the hook um and everything's good for the night um you become number one boat, uh, boat boy okay <laughs> so so tell me where are you living right now did you sell your house and sell everything we to did. go buy the boat and we did we sold it all sold it gave it away gave a lot away uh we don't even have a storage unit we just dropped it all so at the moment so again last summer we lived on the boat at a marina for a little bit um in the chesapeake and then uh then this this opportunity uh, happened for us with an old friend of mine that uh, this lovely couple has a house in Maryland and they also have a house in Vermont. So they're in Vermont and we are house sitting. So it's been a really good gig this year. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Well, we've been going about an hour now and that's about how long I want to limit my uh, my interviews to. Is there anything okay. else that you want to add before we finish up? Mm. Go ahead and uh, re-give them the contact information on the website and uh, yep. anything else you might think of that we should uh, make well, sure we, we cover. Our, our average our average age of our people we've had on board, we get a lot of couples, which is fine. Um, almost no one is 40 or under. Most are 50 or older. So I don't know if, you know, the people, some people might not think about that, you know, being older. That's been our basic um, customer. Yes, yes. And then if uh, any of your listeners want to ask us any questions, yeah. we'd be happy to they just shoot us an email to uh, info at saledauntless.com, and we'd be happy to respond. If they're thinking about getting into this business, uh, we can share more of the, more of the finances um, and, and the challenges and the benefits to, to all of this. And the try-before-you-buy thing is fun for a week on board. That's true, yeah. That's that's really good advice to people. <laughs> Don't go buy a boat until you've been on a boat for a few weeks. So exactly, because there's a few out there who did just that, and uh, mixed results. Yeah. <laughs> well, Judy and Jim, thanks for coming on, and uh, keep in touch. Reach out to me again in a year or so, and let me know how things go. We'll do another Franz, one we then. Appreciate it. Okay. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Ta- you, Franz. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Take care. The website for Sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. Life is short. 
In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.